Lynn Hiles Ministries presents That You Might Have Life. He said he didn't send his son in the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might have life. So Jesus came that we might have life. The Bible said in him was life, the life was the light of men. The more light you have, the more life you're going to have. So you can have peace was on me. That's why it's called the gospel of peace. He took your punishment so you could get his peace. He took what you had coming so you could get what he has coming. All around the country and around the world, people just like you are awakening to the good news of Jesus Christ. What God wanted to do was release the kingdom of God in your life until the joy and the peace and the righteousness of the Holy Ghost would so fill your life. I don't want to just make heaven my home. I want to make my home like heaven. And now, here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Welcome back to the program again this week. I, I trust you are enjoying what you're hearing uh, flowing from this ministry. Once again, this is probably eight weeks into uh, this series we've been teaching, and we haven't even finished the uh, first church in the book of Revelation, but uh, I have all the set again with me. My oldest son, Jeremy, who is the pastor of a great church in Winchester, Virginia. That's in northwestern Virginia, and uh, you owe it to yourself if you're within an hour's drive to come be part of their meetings. They've planted a church there, and it's a couple years old now, and they meet on Monday nights. So uh, if you go to another church, we're not trying to steal you from somebody else, but you can go by there on a Monday night and meet with them because they meet on Monday nights, and there will be information on his website, and they'll put that up on the screen before uh, the program is over where you can find directions to the local church there where he's at. Also, let me just quickly say that I am a mobile ministry. I travel. We are coming to a city near you. I forget to mention this so many times, but if you go to my website, you will see a full listing of my itinerary, and we are really enjoying getting to meet some of our television audience. When you, we go somewhere every week, so every week we're preaching someplace different, usually on the weekend somewhere, come be part of one of our conferences or one of the meetings in the local churches where we're at. Like I said, my schedule is on my website. We would love to see you in one of these meetings. Now, let me say where, what we've been dealing with over the last several weeks is we've been dealing with uh, the book of Revelation from a viewpoint of the fact that this is a revelation of Jesus Christ. How do I know that? Because it's the title of the book. The title of the book usually tells you something about what it's about. And everything that we're going to preach is going to flow from that perspective of a revelation of Jesus and his redemptive work. This book of Revelation is at the end of the book because I believe it is the conclusion, the summation of the redemptive story. I believe that the reason you ought to read the rest of the book before you get to this last one is because when you get to this book of Revelation, and you will see in this book of Revelation golden candlesticks, altars of incense, uh, you will see mercy seats, and you will see uh, golden censers. If you've not read the book of Exodus, you won't have a clue what that means. Mm -hmm. You'll think that's just really pretty furniture someplace in a planet three miles south of Mars. But I believe the keys that unlock the book of Revelation are in the rest of the book. When you see that, uh, they, that these golden candlesticks were in the tabernacle of Moses and they had something about them that told us something about redemption. The brazen altar, which talked about the blood that was shed and the sacrifice that was made and uh, the brazen laver that later in the book of Revelation calls the sea of glass. Uh, when you see golden censers, they're all through 
the book of Exodus, mm -hmm. and they show you that these were the shadow, but the substance unlocks some powerful revelation. Because when we get mm -hmm. to the book of Revelation, we find out that these seven golden candlesticks symbolize the seven churches. Mm -hmm. And then here in the middle of these seven churches, you got one like a son of man walking in the seven middle of the seven golden candlesticks. That's not some mystical enigma to me. That's Jesus walking in the midst of the church. Yep. He is the central shaft from which the anointing flows to all the branches. And so all of that's there. And uh, so what we begin to do is unlock then that these seven churches, and let me say uh, again that we have a book on this, and it'll be on the screen also that I wrote on these first several chapters of the book of Revelation. But this church, these seven churches, are probably the greatest pivotal churches in history because they really were written to seven churches that were in Asia during the first century. Uh, I, I personally believe that this book of Revelation predates 70 AD because of internal evidence alone. But you can, you know, fight all day about which scholar believes what the date of this book should be. Regardless of that, to me, it's still a revelation of Jesus. And he's writing it to seven churches that are in the greatest transition of human history. They are moving from an old covenant to a new covenant. Yeah. They are moving from, uh, and, and, and to me that's a powerful key. Yeah. Because when you get, once again, to the fourth chapter of the book of Revelation, and you see, and I saw a door opened in heaven, and I saw a throne, and one sat on the throne, looked upon like a sardine and a jasper stone. There was a rainbow right about the throne in sight, like to an emerald. There was a little book in the right hand of the one sitting on the throne. That to me is powerful imagery of the Son of God sitting on the throne of His glory with a rainbow of a new covenant and the little book which to me symbolizes the new covenant and the rainbow that declares God says, I'll never be angry with you again. Uh, to me, those powerfully picture the kingdom of God. Yep. And before we ever started teaching the book of Revelation, I did a series. It's back on YouTube. It's on my website, all kinds of, of video there where I've talked about if you will repent. John the Baptist, his first message was repent. Mm -hmm. The kingdom's at hand. And my main thought was if you'll change the way you think, it gives you access to the kingdom. What was happening is these churches were changing the way they think and they were about to access the kingdom on a powerful way. They were about to move out from underneath of a government uh, I believe it is 2 Corinthians 3, 9 in the Message Bible says, if the government of condemnation was glorious, how about this government of affirmation? One condemns you, one affirms you. So they were shifting from an old covenant to a new covenant mentality. That's why to me that it's not an accident, that at the church at Ephesus, the very first thing he deals with is apostles who are and he, and he, he calls them, you, you have tried them to say they're apostles and found them to be liars. And then he said, you've worked and you've labored, you've labored and you've worked, and you've worked and you've labored, you've labored and you've worked, you did it for my name's sake. Uh, bless your heart, you did it for my name's sake. But nevertheless, works and labors are not the currency of the new covenant. Yeah. Grace and faith is. And what he's telling them in this first church, and I'm going to read this and then I'm going to get you to jump in. Sure. But he says, under the angel of the church at Ephesus, right, these things saith he that holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know your works and your labor and your patience, how thou canst not bear them which are evil, how thou hast tried them which say they're apostles and are not, and hast found them to be liars. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen." 
and repent. Metanoia, change the way you think and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly and remove thy candlestick out of its place, except you repent. Uh, and, 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 but this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him that overcomes, I will give to eat of the tree of life that's in the midst of the paradise of God. Several more things by way of introduction. I'm going to throw it to you in just a moment. He says, remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen. Mm -hmm. What I did was all of a sudden when I read verse 7, and he says, to him that overcomes, I'll give it to eat of the tree of life that's in the midst of the paradise of God. All of a sudden, what I begin to hear in my spirit is, remember where you fell from. Not where you fell from last night, but remember what caused the original fall was that you thought in a mystic garden, Adam thought that if he got enough information about good and evil, he could make himself like God. But what that did was made him say, I'm naked, I'm ashamed, I need to hide. He lost that loving feeling mm -hmm. and it pushed him away from God rather than drawing to God. So when he said, remember from whence thou art fallen, He's trying to reconnect your thought process to what caused the original fall was once again a performance-based religious system that could only, uh, that could never uh, change you. And he says, but if you will repent, if you overcome, I'll give you to eat of the tree of life that's in the paradise of God. So he's telling you, you got to change trees. Yeah. What we feed over American pulpits almost every week is we feed people from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and we wonder why they've lost that love and feeling. I believe when he says to this church, if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick out of its place. I don't think he's talking about individuals losing their salvation. Yeah. But I believe what he's saying is, he's saying, if you don't change the way you think, I'm going to remove your candlestick. In other words, you're not going to have the influence. You're not mm -hmm. going to have the light. You're not going to have the impact. Mm -hmm. Because, I, in other words, if it's not flowing from uh, this, this right perspective, and I, I believe with everything that's in me prophetically that, that God is beginning to cause uh, that system. Not, not, I'm not, not, not taking a shot at people. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not yeah. individuals. But there, there is a fading system that the candle has gone out of. Uh -huh. When you get to the latter part of the book of Revelation, chapter 18, it talks about Great Babylon. It said, in, uh, I believe it is in the 18th chapter, that the light of the candle will not be seen in you any longer. In other words, there's no revelation yeah. in this Babylonian confused system. Yeah. And so I believe that what he's telling them to do is you're going to have to shift from this, uh, this performance works-based tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you're going to have to shift to a tree of life. The gospel is not about a law you have to keep. It's about a life that will keep you. And when you receive this life, you will live right. Yeah. But you will live right not because of rules, but because of a relationship that's love. Love's a powerful thing. Yeah. It'll make you drive halfway across the country in the middle of the night. It'll make you drop a credit card on a table you can't afford. <laughs> It'll make you do a whole lot of stuff that you never thought you'd do because love's very powerful. Yeah. I'll let you take it from there for a little while. I know I've talked a while. You know, the the uh, again, we've talked about the transition is that uh, these churches that he's writing to, they understand they're, at the time this is written, there was a literal temple that had these pieces of furniture in it, a candlestick, uh, a table of showbread, an Ark of a Covenant, the brazen altar, the brazen labor, those pieces of furniture. These, these Jews and these people that are coming from this transition understood those things. Uh, 
there are, when you look at, and but what's happening is, is that Christ is moving from, or God moved out of a natural building built with hands yep. and stone, gold, silver, moved into a spiritual temple made with hands. Yeah. Uh, now scripture declares that, know ye not, you are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Yep. In other words, you're the place that God dwells. And so these pieces of furniture went from, you know, when God tells uh, Moses the plan and the pattern for building this tabernacle, in, in the book of Exodus, he says, I want you to building according to the pattern that I will show you in the mountain. Because everything that Moses was going to build had some kind of spiritual significance of Christ. It had some picture of yep. Christ in it. I mean, even the yep. setup of the way the camp was set around the tabernacle, the way the furniture was arranged, it was set up as a, in, the, in, in the, shape the shape of, of a cross. cross. Yeah. Uh, the, the children of Israel, when they would, uh, would encamp around the tabernacle, they would encamp facing that tabernacle with their backs to the enemy because as far, you know, uh, uh, because the, the, as far as when your focus is upon Christ, your enemies have no power and over the, you. The, the book of Isaiah, God said, I'll be your rear guard. Yeah. You know, uh, you know well, I believe even when you God's got at, your back, in other words, yeah. if you put your focus on Him. Of course, you know, what happens too is not only are your back to the enemy because God's got your back, but your brothers are watching for you yeah. because, uh, you know, when you're when you're setting focused, uh, you know, if you had the tribe of Judah that's, that's facing that, uh, that tabernacle, they're watching the backs of their yeah. brothers on the other side of yep, that tabernacle. Yep, yep. They're watching for the enemies that's coming for the back. So God was more wanting you to watch for your brother. Yep. Uh, I believe that's why when uh, Cain said, you know, my, my brother's keeper, God showed uh, natural Israel, yes, you are. Yeah. You are your brother's keeper. You should always have your eyes on the back of your brother, you know, and, and not just looking for, you know, uh, to protect and myself yeah. and me and mine. Uh, but each piece of these furniture, or each of these uh pieces of furniture that was in that tabernacle was significant as a picture of Christ or significant of different things. That t the, this candlestick that we've talked about for weeks now, uh, for me, it, it pictures the Word of God. Yep. Uh, because there are, you know, when you look at the knobs, the buds, you know, God, our, the, the Word of God is a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Yep. Uh, the, even the, the decorations that were on, there was 66 total of those decorations. There's like there are 66 books of the Bible. But the central shaft, uh, Christ in this book of Revelation, is, He comes walking in the middle of that, showing that Christ is the central theme yeah. of the whole Bible. Yeah. You're, you're always looking for Him. Yeah. It's also a picture to me of the, the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is a teacher. Yeah. It, it show, it, it, the Holy Spirit is what reveals Christ to us in this Word yeah. of God. It's what, uh, you know, when the Holy Spirit comes into us, it will lead and guide us into all truth. It will testify of Him. It would testify of Christ. So the Holy Spirit begins to testify of who Christ is. So when your focus is upon that, uh, when you when you begin to see those pieces of furniture as these things, and your your picture your your whole your whole life is focused upon Christ, then what happens is that's what will bring you into life. It's what will cause you to begin to feed from the right tree. Uh, when he says, you know, you have tried these that are apostles and are not. You have, you know, you are, you're looking for all these other things. And he says, I'm going to, you know, but if you don't repent, I'm going to remove your candlestick. I believe that, he, you know, like we said, it's not God taking his salvation because he's writing to these churches. If he says, I'm going to remove your candlestick. In other words, if their focus is not in the right place, their focus is not on the revelation of Jesus. So the light of their candle, the revelation, you know, when you, yep. if your focus isn't upon Jesus, 
That's what takes away your joy. That's what takes away the light of, you know, when, when I would look at, when I would read these scriptures, because I was taught to read the scriptures, you know, back in my younger, younger days. So you read these scriptures to find out, you know, how God wants to fix you. It's uh, you're looking into the mirror to see what's wrong with you, kind of. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, and I was, I would, like I said, you know, uh, we were given uh, homework assignments of, you know, you needed to read a chapter of your Bible every night. And so, you know, I'd read the Book of Psalms because it was usually the shortest ones that you could, you know, you, there was definitely short chapters you could get to bed a lot quicker, or at least, you know, watch TV or whatever you want to do. Uh, but when I would read it, uh, because I was just reading as a history book or I was trying to find out what's wrong with me, uh, I, I was like everybody else. It, this Bible makes no sense to me. It's like, you know, it's, it might as well have been written in another language because it didn't speak to me. But whenever it, it, I, the focus began to be put on Christ and I started looking for Jesus in it, all of a sudden the, the whole thing began to open up to me and it began to light up. It was like uh, I, had a, you know, I, had a, was, I worked a job several years ago. And I started talking about that, you know, you were, with some of the guys at work, I was talking about, you know, you were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you live. You know, you were died, you died with him. You were buried with him in baptism and that you've been quick and raised and seated with him in heavenly places. And uh, I thought that was just simple knowledge most people knew. And these guys were like, I, I, there's some Christians sitting there and they, they were mad at me. Uh, and they said, you know, that ain't in the Bible. And they were ready to fight me. And I said, well, I'll tell you what, you go home and you find, you, you, you go find where I'm wrong. And I'll go home tonight and I'll, you know, try to see if, if I'm, you know, make sure that I, maybe I've read these things wrong. Maybe I, you know, I'll, I'll go home and make sure these scriptures are in there because maybe I'm wrong. And uh, came back the next day and I asked the, the couple of guys, I said, did you, did you go home and then read and he, the guy said, man, I don't even want to talk to you right now. And I said, well, why? He said, man, I went home and he said, I was so mad and I still wanted to just prove you wrong. He said, I went and I looked up the word crucified. He said, the first scripture I opened up to was you were crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, you yeah. he said, everything you said, uh, he said, it was like, I found it and it was in there. And he said, all, he said, I've read my Bible. He said, I didn't even go to bed last night. He said, I was, I've been up all day. He said, because for the first time, the scriptures Think were open that. to me in a way they never been open to me because I didn't know that these scriptures were about Jesus and not about me. Yep. And he said, I Think couldn't go to that. sleep last night because yeah. all of a sudden the scriptures were open to me. The light, in other words, the way that he was taught to read those scriptures, the light of the candlestick went out because it made no sense. It was, yeah. it was a chore to read, but all of a sudden when the focus was put on Christ, the light of the candlestick lit up. In other words, the, the, the oil flew the, uh, flowed the right way and, yeah. and the light and the wicks were trimmed the right way so that the light became focused yeah. on Christ. And he it was open to him for the first yeah. time because the focus was in the right place. It was on Christ. Yeah. When we teach people to put the focus on Christ on everything, it opens everything up. In other words, uh, you won't have to worry about telling people not to touch the tree of the knowledge of good and evil when you teach them about Christ yeah. because they'll automatically choose the tree of life because Christ is the life yeah. and he's the, light of, he's the life of the world. Yeah. Uh, and it teaches us to, to deny ungodliness. Yeah. What was the ungodliness? Yeah. It was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And when I, Adam ate of that tree and brought sin into the world and, and what, what, what Christ does is teach us to deny ungodliness, we, we, we choose the right tree. We begin to 
feed on life. But if there's no light of the candlestick, we can't see what tree we're eating from. We can't see the right light, you know, but the, when the focus is put on Christ, I said, I believe it was last week, you know, for me, things have to be simple. God has to speak to me in simple ways. You know, even Apostle Paul said he chooses the foolish thing of the world to confound the wise. That's why God chose me, because I'm pretty simple. I'm pretty <laughs> foolish in a lot of things. I've made a lot of, a lot of foolish errors in my life. Mm. But through those things, God really began to open things up to me and just simply, it was like, you know, people ask me, you know, well, how did you, uh, how do you study or how did you find this stuff? And my, really, my response is just dumb luck. I don't know how, you know, it's just God just began. I just asked him. I just said, God, well, show yeah, me. Yeah, and you knew what you were looking I mean, yeah. you knew how to look for Christ in the yeah. Scripture. Well, what happened, I just simply came to him and said, God, just open your Scriptures. Show me yeah. who you are. And when I began, and I began to look for him. In the scripture, somebody told me that the scriptures were about Christ. I start look for Christ in it, yeah. and in looking for Christ, it began to open up. And I, when I start looking for Him, I found Him. Yeah. Uh, I think that's why the scripture says, "If you seek, you will find." Yeah. I just we just weren't taught what to seek for. I think yep. you know, and what we're supposed to be seeking for is Christ. Yeah. When you seek Christ, you you seek after Him. It, it's open to you. You yep. it, you receive it. Uh, you know, you, you you seek and you find, and life is given to yep. you. Yep. And that's what this. I believe that's why He writes to this church and reveals himself as the one, the candlestick, so that when you put that focus in the right place and your focus upon yep. Jesus as the central shaft, it opens everything to you, removes all the works and labors, and brings you to a place where you begin to really feed upon life. It gives you life. It's, it's really trusting Christ to do it in mm -hmm. us. You know, I, I can't help but think, of one of the main examples I've used a long time talking about the difference between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is you know, you know, I've had a guy that traveled with me for sure. many years. I won't say his last name, but his first name's AJ, or that's his initials anyway. Mm -hmm. And uh, but AJ came from a crime background. He mm -hmm. came from an Italian mob family, and uh, uh, the the Lord told me to take him on the road with me, and I had him on the road with me probably 18 years. He still travels with me some, and you may get to see him in one of the meetings where where I'm at. But uh, when, when the Lord first put him with me, I'm thinking, God, I, I don't know how this fits. Mm -hmm. I mean, all my friends went to Penn State. His went to State Penn, I tell people. Yeah. Mine went to Yale. His went to jail, you know. <laughs> it's just like to, I cut my teeth on church pews. He cut his teeth on bar stools. I mean, literally, he, we were from two different complete worlds. And for the longest time, I mean, you know, he talks about uh, the different things that he was involved in in his life growing up and, and, and that whole world and what it, and it's, it's almost like a foreign concept to me. And I'm, so for years I'm thinking, Lord, what, you know, what, what's his function? You know, uh, you put him with me to, to, and, you know, he travels with me and after a little while, of course, you know, he's funny as all get out, mm -hmm. but, uh, uh, you know, after a little while I'm thinking, well, maybe I'm not supposed to mentor him. Maybe he's supposed to torment me, you know, <laughs> maybe, and I, I say that joking about him, but uh, uh, but the reality is we came from two different worlds. Yeah. But I remember one of the times when the Lord really made this clear to me. He was uh, he was with me among the Six Nations uh, Indian Reservation up in, in uh, uh, just outside of Brantford, Ontario, with Pastor Phil Salt up there, great church, Chiefswood Christian Fellowship. We still go there and preach. And so Phil says to me, "I'm going to let AJ share his testimony tonight." Mm -hmm. And so AJ got up to share his testimony, and he began to share about how God had delivered him from 300 a day 
and cocaine and from a life of alcoholism and beating his wife. I mean, he talked about how he used to abuse his wife until she talked about God, he'd knock her out. He thought he'd killed her one night. He beat her so bad till he thought she was dead. He said, I picked her hair up, dropped her a couple times. I checked her, she's not breathing. He said, I turned around and make a sandwich to see who I'm going to get to help me dump the body. And I said, you made a sandwich. He said, well, you didn't want me to dump her while I was hungry, did you? <laughs> and so I, think, well, I said, well, man, in my world, that's pretty cold. If you just killed your wife and you're going to eat a sandwich for you. He said, but it was the first resurrection I've ever seen. He said, all of a sudden, I heard a swishing noise coming through the air, and she slammed me upside the head with a frying pan. He said, I turned around there, she stood raised from the dead. He said, kind of kind of scared me. He said, I looked at her and said, no, you'd be killing you again. God would just raise you from the dead. And that's funny now. But after all, he's sitting there while he's sharing this testimony. I mean, he's sharing this. We're in the Six Nations of these Indians and did not know that substance abuse and, and spousal abuse and alcoholism was rampant among these, uh, among, on this reservation. And so, uh, uh, but we begin to hear weeping and crying. And, uh, you know, people uh, just in a little while were absolutely on the floor getting gloriously delivered as God used this man marvelously to share his testimony. I tell people when it came to evil, uh, he, he, he had a PhD in it. He personally had done it. In other words, he, he was the epitome of eating from the evil that was on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Yep. And so while he's speaking and God marvelously used him in that, uh, I turned back around and, uh, you know, I'm sitting there, uh, in, in the seat and the spirit of the Lord said to me, I put you with him to show people the power of God to deliver from the deepest, darkest depths of evil that's on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so I said, thank you, Lord, because that gives hope to somebody watching me today that if you've got a, a spouse, a husband, a child that's addicted to crime or drugs or, or whatever, God is able to deliver them from it. I mean, yeah. God is a power. And so the power, just God could bring him up out of that. He could deliver anybody from anything. Yeah. And while I'm thanking the Lord for that, that God was able to deliver him from evil, the Lord said to me, listen, he said, I want you to know that I delivered you, Lynn Hiles, from the same tree that I delivered him from. I said, what? I said, what, Lord? He said, I delivered you from the good mm -hmm. that's on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because it's the same tree. And so what we do is we say, stay away from the evil, do the good, and you'll be okay except we fail to tell them it's the same tree. And that's what he's telling this church to repent from. It's a, he said, if you will remember what caused the fall, I'll give you the tree of life. Yeah. Now, what I'm suggesting is not that we do bad things. What I'm suggesting is it's a life that keeps us. We choose a life. And that's what delivered AJ from that tree because what we end up doing, Jeremy, and I know I'm starting to run out of time, but we, 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 what happens is we get people like him coming in off the streets. They're getting delivered from drugs, alcohol, and that life of crime. And we're bringing them over here to the good side, and we're getting them religious and getting them strung out on religion. All they've done is, tra is traded addictions. And then we got folks that have been under religion and bound by religion, they're swinging over here and getting addicted to cocaine and alcoholism and all these other problems, and they're calling that freedom. No, it's not. All they've done is swing from the good side to the evil side, and these mm -hmm. guys are swinging from the evil side to the good side, and we're swinging forth, back and forth mm -hmm. like a bunch of monkeys in the wrong tree. But here's what I hear the Holy Ghost saying. Zacchaeus, you come down out of that tree. Because what's, uh, to me, when I'm thinking about Zacchaeus, he was in a sycamore tree. And what the center column reference calls that is an inferior 
fig tree. That was the apron that Adam clothed himself with. I'm not even sure if Zacchaeus was really a wee little man or if it was just that that tree made him feel that way because the longer your religion, the more it beats you down. But I hear the Lord saying, it's time to come down out of that tree because I must abide at your house. And when the Lord went to Zacchaeus' house, everything changes. When Jesus comes in your life, everything changes. We're about to run out of time. Take a few moments to call the number on the screen. Sit down so seated in the ministry. Go to our website. You can do it via the uh, credit card on the website. But tune in again every week at the same time. God bless you. Thanks for joining us. This series is about living life in the context of sonship. Jesus is recognized as a son in the River Jordan by his father. Flowing from his identity as a son, Jesus comes up out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit with incredible demonstrations of the miraculous. He introduces to his followers the new covenant idea that God is more than just an austere judge. He is our Father. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Let us awaken to our true identity and set creation free.